All right. Welcome, everybody, to the 44th episode of the Crypto Mining Tools podcast. And today we're here with our special guest, Scott Johnson. How are you, Scott? I'm well, Scott. How are you? Great. Two Scots. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's great to have you on here. Uh, Scott is actually from Digital Shovel. Um, a lot of people know about Digital Shovel in the uh, crypto mining industry. And um, so why, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, Digital Shovel and a little bit about yourself to, to get started here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks very much for having us on. Uh, been a long time in the long time in the making here. Um, yeah. yeah. So Digital Shovel started uh, around the end of 2017. Um, I got into crypto probably a year and a half or two years before that. Um, started with Ethereum mining, you know, a couple graphics cards and one computer kind of jerry-rigged together and then one rig and then an apartment, a room with us in my apartment, then two rooms in the apartment, then an industrial unit. And we needed to expand beyond that and decided uh, the best route to go was with a container. Uh, we built our first container and people started to take notice of that. A couple of people, I mean, that was right during the crazy hype phase. I mean, that was, you know, just, we started that at the end of 2017 oh, yeah. and in through 20, 2018, even though there was the crash, um, the hype for mining was still intense. Um, and then people started to ask us to build containers for them. And that's how digital shovel was formed. Um, we now have yes. a 20, 25,000 square foot facility with full in-house manufacturing capabilities for pretty much everything we build with the exception of circuit breakers and fans uh, that really allow us to innovate and bring new products to market quite rapidly. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I know the, the 2017 uh, crypto bull run was definitely uh, an interesting time, you know, in, in the industry. Um, I know even things like, uh, Hosting, hosting for miners uh, in traditional data centers or or in farms, was uh, starting to get scarce and starting to get expensive, and uh, you know, it seems like people just weren't really ready for that bull run at that point. Uh, you know, now is a, a little bit different. Obviously, there's a lot more options, uh, and like you're saying, containers have really come a, a long way. Um, you know, it's it's not anything brand new, but it's definitely a, a newer uh, part of the industry in, in general, I'd say. Um, but yeah, so, so, I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about your first container deployment? Um, you know, how did that go? Were there a lot of people doing that at the time? Where, where did you get your ideas? Yeah. So our, the, the first, first one was uh, an Ethereum mine. It was relatively simple, two fans and a side and, and then our four fans on one side, some louvers on the other and a rack in the middle, um, which is kind of what, a lot of um, container manufacturers do right now, which is nothing wrong with whatsoever. Um, and following that design, I wanted to move into ASICs and strive for a little more density and, and higher efficiency. Um, that's when I came up with the idea to basically shift the shelves perpendicular to create uh, what is now our, our V shape, or which we've got a pending patent on, um, that allows you to get unparalleled density and still maintain high airflow and a high level of operator space. Um, some of our units that are in the field have 2.5 megawatts and we're actually working on a new 41 foot design that'll have up to 3.5 megawatts in a single unit. And you, you simply couldn't fit that many miners in a flat wall design with proper power distribution in there. You, you could do it with all the miners, but you just simply would not have room for all your electrical panels uh, and breakers and power distribution. Right. 
Yeah. So, so like you said, I mean, I mean, I, I know uh, in the beginning you were, you really started with just retrofitting uh, shipping containers, right? Yeah, we started with retrofitting shipping containers and I found, you know, through last year, as we were wrapping up some of our last 40 foot orders, um, we were changing so much in the container uh, that the labor we were spending on, on retrofitting the container uh, was outweighing the benefit of going with the container. Uh, we'd also reached the economy to scale where we're buying, you know, 20, 30,000 pounds of steel a month. I can now buy the steel so cheap that it makes more sense for us just to build our own units. And we figured we'd start um, start doing that with a smaller structure rather than a 40 foot. And that's how the mini pod came to be, which is our, our most recent product we brought to market. Yeah. So that that mini pod is um, I mean, you built that really to be more modular, right? Yeah, it was for to fit two two main purposes. One to be modular. You can bolt them together uh, and both physically and electrically to make one structure. Uh, and then one of the main markets, which has been our biggest customers, is stranded gas plays. Um, it's meant to be able to pick up with a skid steer or forklift, drop it in an oil field. You don't need a foundation or anything else. The unit comes fully assembled, as you see there in the picture. Um, power distribution, ventilation, a security kit. And you can literally just put it on the ground, put your miners in, and hook it directly to a generator. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, uh, and then I know that you, you also build... Um, some of these containers that are specific, not to hold the miners, but um, to hold some of the other gear, right? Like, what, how does that work? Yeah, so in the center of that string that you had on the on the screen there for a second actually has um, a switch gear skid. So we, we make available, you can see there's a small gap there in between five of those units. Um, in the ceiling, there's a busway, uh, which carries all the electricity to main breakers. And those main breakers, typically you'd have to have an additional piece of switch gear and a pad put in and, and conduit run up to that switch gear. Um, that's actually included as part of the unit. So you could just have a separate skid that has all your switch gear. Um, it saves tens of thousands of dollars of installation costs. You can literally put them together, have the entire thing bolt together in an entire day versus, you know, a, a week's worth of work probably by the time you pour pads and run conduit and all of this other stuff. Uh, we are working on as well a separate skid that'll bolt to that that'll also hold the transformer with spill containment and everything built in. That's not oh, available wow. to market yet, but that'll be coming out shortly. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, so really, what you guys are doing is you're you're making uh, it's it's as turnkey as you can possibly get. Like you said, um, some of your customers are are simply uh, plunking these things down in oil fields, right? Um, exactly. and, yeah, and uh, so, you, so you're trying to make it as as easy as possible to get these things up and running uh, for your customers wherever they they might put them. So, yeah, what it, what's, uh, what's uh, some more examples of of where uh, where these things are are being placed? Um, so there's a mix. I mean, there's regular convention data center plays. So guys will just be buying power from the grid at a, at a an affordable rate. Um, oil and gas production. Uh, we have somewhere they're just they'll be at a peaker plant and they'll do kind of reverse peaking. So the with our smart PDUs, we have the ability to remotely control and curtail load uh, based on market rates. So we have um, several plants, water um, hydroelectric dams in the U.S. where when the power goes above a certain price, they want to be selling to the grid. The rest of the time, it makes more sense for them to mine. Um, so it's the opposite of kind of peak shaving where you're 
um, just using the miners when the when the rate's low and then selling the power to the grid. So we have quite a few hydroelectric customers that are using them for that application as well. Well, yeah, and that that's an interesting topic really by itself. Um, you know, my, when to mine uh, and how to how to do it uh, the most efficiently um, and and profitably. So. Um, yeah, well, can, can you just explain that a, a little bit? You know, you, you talked about um, basically what you're selling the power back to the utility, or how does that work? So there's there's a couple different ways you you can do it. If you're a generator yourself, you are already selling to the utility um, whatever you had available. In other instances, um, say if you're in Texas, for instance, um, you can program RPDUs to look at what the 15 minute price market rate is. Um, and you say, okay, look, if it's above five bucks a megawatt hour, um, as a peak, I want to make sure that I always turn off my miners and the PDU will automatically do that in 15 minute intervals. Um, you're not always gonna be paying five bucks a megawatt hour, but that's the upper threshold. If you set that upper threshold, you know, your blended rate might be something like 2.9 cents. Uh, now, obviously this is buying at transmission voltages. Um, Different markets operate different ways. Some have day ahead pricing, some it's settled every 15 minutes. Uh, as an example, what just happened with Texas with the storm, yeah. um, if that was an instance and, and you were not in contract and you were playing market and you didn't get in there and turn off your PDUs in time, uh, you would have ended up with, you know, for most miners, probably a bill that would have been in the hundreds of thousands of dollars higher than normal. The smart PDU would have kicked in automatically and curtailed your load uh, instantly. Well, yeah. I should say that that's the important part is when it curtails, it does it in a soft format. So it'll it'll actually have a small interval of time between each miner shut off and each miner turn back on. So you're not just flipping, you know, a one, two or three megawatt switch on and off. It's kind of doing right. it soft on it slowly, slowly on, slowly back off. Slowly yeah, no, that, that's right. interesting. That's interesting how that works, because, you know, we definitely heard on the news how there was some uh, residential uh customers who uh, all of a sudden got a $17,000 uh, electricity bill in, in just like a matter of a few days uh, because of the, the uh, demand rates, right? Yeah, um, you can just imagine, I mean, that's, and that's a customer that might have a hundred or $200 power bill. Um, you know, a lot of miners have 10, 20, 30, hundred thousand dollar power bills. So you're talking, you know, 90 X what you normally would. It's a big spike. However, mo most guys, that we speak to a lot of them in Texas, if they are playing the market like that, they're on top of it. Uh, if not, they're usually in contract though. So they, they are yeah. protected against that. But for that reason, that's why you're seeing, I mean, there's several uh, utilities and distribution companies that had to file for bankruptcy over this issue in Texas. Wow. Yeah. No, I can, I can only imagine. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, about your, your smart PDU, you know, so it's obviously gone through an, an evolution uh, over time. Um, I think one, one feature it has is the ability to identify each, each individual device, right? Yeah. So we have, we actually developed the smart PDU fully in-house. So even the printed circuit board we developed and we have the pick and place assembly, um, equipment in-house to do, to do our own assembly of the PCBs as well as our own software team. So we're constantly upgrading, uh, the software on the miner and, and, or sorry, on the PDU uh, and trying to evolve as much as possible. One of the things we just came out with, um, with a way that it can identify which miners are on which port. So like oftentimes you go and plug in a couple hundred miners into your data center. Uh, you have smart PDU, which is great, but you're using DHCP or DHCP. You have no idea, no idea which IP is on which port. 
um, the PDU, I mean, it sucks that it has to turn the miner on and off to do this, but it basically turns miner on and off slowly to identify which IP address was associated with which port, and then and it'll map it to that. So when you have an issue, you can just simply go into your PDU and you automatically know what IP address was on there, which one you want to do a reset on. Yeah, that sounds very handy. Yeah, because I, I know some of these miners, you know, they're, they could be a little bit hard to control sometimes. The, uh, the manufacturers really like to lock them down. And um, so, so they make it hard to sometimes, you know, SSH into them um, or, or really do anything outside of a, a simple uh, API interaction. Um, so that's, that's an interesting feature where, it, like you said, it turns it on and off again to identify the IP address and, and which miner is, it's mining to. And it'll only do that if you ask it to. Uh, like not, not everybody's going to want to sit and have their miners turning on and off. Some guys will use a static IP. Um, right. Another kind of neat feature about it, it has um, not only temperature and humidity sensors built into the PDU, uh, but there's also Wi-Fi on it, which can be disabled. But sometimes when you're setting up your data center and your network's not all set up, but you want to plug into your PDU to quickly see what's going on with your miners, you can hook in with a tablet or with a phone uh, and just go on through Wi-Fi. It has a, um, a wireless access point built into the smart PDU. Wow. Very interesting. Um, and then the so the cold start feature is that something different or so the cold start feature is you can do it with the pdu alone um it generally works better with the um uh with the the mini pod or in one of the in our um, container products where if the temperature is below a certain threshold if you programmed it to say you know below 15 degrees celsius use the cold start what it'll do is if you have the option of auxiliary heaters which we offer a ceramic heater option in the container so if you were you know, your power went down and it's completely cold. The ceramic, it'll wait till the ceramic heaters heat the unit up enough to start the miners. If not, it'll try to start just a small portion of the miners on the bottom shelf. This will hopefully generate enough heat to warm up the rest of them. Not all of them are going to start up properly. Um, and then once that happens, it'll power cycle everything off and then restart up the rest of the miners once they've come up to full heat or once the data centers come up to full heat while keeping the fans off at that time. Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, it, definitely. When you're building these containers, you obviously have to uh, consider um, where these things are, are actually going to be deployed. So, you know, something like that might not be necessary down in Texas, but um, obviously you're deploying some of these uh, in more northern areas and, and colder areas that, that where that might be important. Yeah, and for that reason, in those climates, we actually have an option for a blower fan um, that sits in the hot chamber. So once it gets a little bit too cold, the main fan will turn off or it'll pulse the main fan on and off while the blower fan is actually blowing hot air from the hot chamber. The lower, our bottom shelf is a one inch duct and allows heat to come underneath that shelf. Um, and in some instances, we have a kit that comes with the mini pod and, and our 40 foots that actually will block some of the intake area. So it's just sheets that go over the filter so, to restrict some of that air coming in. Uh, yeah. The nice thing about the awning intakes we have is a huge pile of air can get in. Sometimes it's too much when you're in a really cold climate. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so it looks like Jim has a question here. Does the smart PDU integrate with any mining management software available on the market? So there is an open API for it. There's authentication, obviously, to get into the API, but we allow API access into it. So if somebody wants to use a third-party software to manage the unit, um, it's just a matter of them um, integrating with our API. Right now, it doesn't come factory with anything like that, but we're definitely open to any synergies to 
you know, use your existing software, allow you to modify ours, um, or hook into uh, some third-party software. Okay. And um, cool. So, yeah, you know, just just going back um, to digital 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 shovel and you know, the the market in general. You know, you said back in 2017 everything was going crazy. And then obviously there was the, the crash of Bitcoin. Um, how, how would you say that that impacted your your business? I mean, you, you were just kind of getting started at the same time, weren't you? With Yeah, with- you know what? I mean, it's it's kind of funny. And, if, and I eat all the guys that work for us all, are always like, oh, Bitcoin's going down. Are we, we going to stop getting busy? I'm like, it's fine as we say, you know, like oil and gas where they say we have sticky margins. You know, we kind of have a sticky volume where it's like when the price is going up, we get really busy. But when it goes down, we just get a little less busy. We've we've been steady. We've never not had orders. Um, now, some of that was because, you know, frankly, out the gate when we first started the business, we were quite behind in getting stuff out the gate, just as as many manufacturers were. Um, but even through uh, 2020, we, we did reduce our production capacity because we had to take a lot of staff off the floor and we still aren't back to our original numbers. Um, we still had orders. In fact, you know, we had orders come in, I think, March 20th of 2020 for, for 40 foot units. Uh, yeah. And then th- throughout even we launched the mini pods, I think. I think it was in June. Yeah, it was in May or June. And, and we were selling those units straight through those straight through there. I mean, keep in mind, we're doing this all Toronto is still in lockdown. Like I know the U.S. is fully open. We don't have restaurants or bars. Uh, we only last week retail stores were allowed to open with 25 percent capacity. So it's been a very um, people are always like, "Oh, what do, what do you mean COVID slowing things down and slowing down deliveries?" I'm like, you know, you couldn't go to Home Depot to get something when you ran out of it. Uh, you had to pre-order everything online. So stuff yeah. that would take wow. you know a couple of days to come takes weeks. Yeah. So yeah, and, and that's that's an interesting concept. You know, just how how covid impacted um the the economy in general but also um you know, the the mining uh industry um you know I, I think for the most part people who are buying containers like this they they have the foresight to know that okay it's not always going to be like this uh you know bitcoin um in general is is going to go up again um and and they're not just thinking about what's going to happen this month or, or in a few months. So they're, they're thinking long-term. So, so I, I could see how that would, um, you know, how, how your orders wouldn't necessarily just immediately drop off just because Bitcoin goes low. Yeah, that, that too. And the, and the guys that have been through this a couple of times, you know, both of us know that like that is the time to build. That's the time to buy miners. Not yeah. when the S19 is 12, 13, $14,000. That's when it was two, $3,000 a little while ago. And, you know, most of the guys, if you buy at that price and your power's in the threes, low fours, you were still making money at $3,500, $4,000 Bitcoin. Um, and, it, and and frankly, it calms things down a little bit. I mean, that th- those are the times to build. I mean, not that now is not the time to build, but given the opportunity, in hindsight, you know, I bet there's a lot of guys right now that are deploying capital that really wish they deployed that capital six, nine, 12 months ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now they're, they're going back to their partners or their investors and saying, see, I told you so <laughs> we should have gone, yeah. we should have jumped on this, but yeah, yeah. Then everybody gets a little bit more timid. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, the, the, the real, the real big players, you know, they, they know, Hey, we have a plan here. Let's stick to it. We're going to weather the storm. 
And and so some of these guys are are guys that, you know, they don't necessarily need to be selling their crypto every month in order to pay their power bill, right? Yeah. Um, and the nice thing too is, I mean, this go around, um, there was tools in place for them to borrow against that crypto, which there really wasn't that love. There, there were before, but they weren't, you know, institutional grade, uh, like there are now. Um, you know, you, you, there was so much counterparty risk when you went and did stuff like that before, whereas now so much of the, the financial, um, structures are in place to allow big players and, and established players to do things that, um, allow them to, to, to float those peaks and valleys a lot better than they could before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that's become a, a little bit more robust in the last, uh, last few years, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Certainly. Uh, so, yeah, well, I guess that kind of dovetails into, you know, I, I think you were saying earlier offline that you uh, provide some in-house financing options. Yeah. So originally we were doing a rent to own program. Um, we actually just, it was great because, you know, for the longest time I was trying to get our units leased and, and treated as like, you know, um, you know, like a generator where you can get some pretty attractive financing rates. Um, and now we're finding uh, several leasing partners, well, one main leasing partner rather, uh, that's actually willing to take on our units for oil and gas. Plays. Now, this is just in Canada right now. We're working on a U.S. partner, um, but they'll finance our, our mini pod units for oil and gas players as long as they've been around for two, at least two years um, at very attractive rates, um, like nor- normal market leasing rates, not, you know, insanely expensive ones like some of the others um, that were available previously. Um, I, I need to update my website. <laughs> I see what's uh, what's on the screen there, but uh, the rates are, are a lot more attractive than that for sure. Um, you know, some of them, I got a guy who's purchased several right now with, I think he's just put first and last down uh, for some of our mini pods and they can do oh, that yeah. for the 40 foot as well. Yeah. Um, all right. So next topic, uh, yeah, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your your uh, manufacturing expansion? Uh, I've seen on um, on Facebook and some other places, you know, you you you've been posting all about this equipment that you've been buying um, stuff that I, I don't even understand how it works, what it is, but it looks like really big metal objects that help to lift things. And I I don't know. It seems like you guys are going gangbusters there. Yeah, lift, press, and cut holes. Um, so when we started, everything was outside. Uh, we built our first 40 foots. Uh, we had a small little room with a CNC plasma cutter, uh, and everything was outside, including paint in the winter. Wow. Um, it was uh, a challenge, but we got them done. In the winter, um, in Toronto. In Toronto. We spent the first part of the morning clearing the snow, and then the, the afternoon was for the actual building part. It was a challenge. Um, yeah, so we, we now have, I think, 25,000 square foot facility. Um, we recently installed a CNC laser uh, and a 220 ton 12 foot brake press. Um, our, our design now, instead of kind of building a frame and putting panels around it, we're really trying to go more like almost like a unibody of a car. So we take the sheet metal, form it into the shapes we need uh, and add in bends to basically create structural posts within the panels on the, on the exoskeleton of the unit. Um, and just pulled it together and then welded the unit in place. Um, we've installed a robot welder, uh, which is not fully online yet, but it will be shortly, which will really speed up that process. Uh, and then most recently, uh, we're just, it'll come next week, a CNC turret machine 
which allows us to do a variety of things. So like punching and tapping, um, forming metal in different ways, uh, using, uh, you know, a hammer type press into the sheet. And uh, it, it's mainly things to allow our, uh, the development of our smart PDU to become a lot more refined. Most of what you see a computer case uh, made, or like all of the forms on a computer case are made with a turret press. Um, so we have quite a bit there. We, we also just um, are well in the finishing up now with 2,500 square foot uh, design and development lab. That's going to be for the PCB manufacturer as well as our software team and other electronics based stuff that we want to uh, play with and experiment. Wow. So, I mean, this, this all seems to come fairly naturally to you. How, how did you, I mean, do you have a background in like engineering or, no, I, I mean, I, I surround myself with some, some great people. Um, I grew up in the country, and when you needed something, uh, you didn't go just always and buy it. You built it. We had a family marina, so I grew up around welders and metalworking machines and stuff like that. Um, and so when it came to the container, I mean, we had trades that were working on them on the first ones that we were building. Uh, but slowly but surely, as we learned more and more, um, we realized a lot of this stuff we can form and fabricate ourselves. Uh, but the important part of that is we get everything UL certified and inspected. So it's not just us building it, but willy-nilly and kind of throwing it out there. Um, there's a We have two consultants, uh, in not in-house, but that work for us um, that are ex-CSA inspectors uh, that consult on our designs. And then we bring the final product uh, to UL, which ensures that we're meeting both Canadian and U.S. Um, electrical standards. Recently, wow. we actually went to, um, it was a lot of fun, we went to... Uh, a short circuit testing lab uh, to certify our entire devices. So a lot of devices either don't have a short circuit rating or it'll be very low, like 2000 or 5000 amps, um, which is the amount of available fault current a device can handle, frankly, before it explodes or before it discharges sparks in an unsafe way. Uh, we recently had our PDUs tested up to 50,000 amps, um, which is, as far as I know, uh, one of the highest ratings for a smart PDU uh, of this size. You, you can get, I mean, there are other PDUs that carry that high of a rating, uh, but you're talking five, 10 times the price. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Um, yeah. So we're uh, going to wrap it up here soon, but, um, you know, I, I was wondering just the other day, uh, Bitcoin was at around 60,000. I, I think it uh, mm -hmm. actually reached another all time high. We just keep on going. What, uh, Go ahead. No, no, so good. Yeah, so I was wondering, uh, you know, do you have any predictions as far as by the end of this year? I mean, I think I'm ringing the 100K bell like everybody else is right now, to be honest. I also think um, we're going to have a very large correction. I got to stop calling them crashes. I mean, really, they're corrections. I mean, we still continue to trend up. Um, right. Frankly, I, I, I did not think we would be going this high this fast. Um, did not think these numbers uh, weren't achievable. Just I, I was pleasantly surprised with, with the run up as quickly as it happened, uh, but did not anticipate it going up quite this fast. I mean, I I can definitely see us seeing thirties again um, for a little while. Twenties um, questionable, but I, I could see a correction back into the thirties. But there seems to be a lot of support to bounce it back up. I'm not a trader though. I don't. Yeah. Getting into this, I decided early days. I'm going to either do mining or the other and not play the trading game. I mean, there's, I guess there's a difference between hedging strategy and stuff like that. But I mean, I try to leave that to guys that 
that that's their business. And I just try to focus on the, the mining side of things. Oh yeah. No, I mean, tra trading is, uh, it's almost a full-time job in itself really. And, you know, jumping in, in and out of your position, you, you got to really watch that. Yeah. My, myself, I'm, I'm more of a trader. I, I sell when I need to. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just uh, tr try to hold, but, um, well, yeah, so it's been, a, it's been a good play so far. Yeah. Um, well, let's hope for that hundred K coming up here. Looking forward uh, to it. Yeah. So, uh, for our guests, anyone who wants to get in touch with uh, digital shovel with uh, Scott Johnson, you can go to his website at digitalshovel.com right there slash contact. And, uh, you can fill out the contact form. Um, and otherwise, uh, Scott, where else do you, do you hang out online? Uh, you can email me direct, Scott with one T, S-C-O-T at digitalshovel.com. Uh, my Twitter is digital underscore shovel. I'm, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm not on there a whole pile. Uh, you can get me on Telegram at the same handle uh, on there on the regular. Um, and then, yeah, our website, digitalshovel.com. Awesome. Well, Scott, um, we'll wrap it up here. I appreciate you coming on to the show. And... Um, we uh, hope to see you very soon, maybe down in uh, Miami. I'm looking very forward to Miami. Thank you very much for the opportunity. We appreciate being on. And uh, yeah, Miami is going to be fun this year. Excellent. All right. Take care, Scott. Right. Cheers. Cheers.